Let me pray for us. Lord God, the opportunity to worship uh, with my, my brothers and sisters down south here, uh, Lord God, in Silicon Valley, I am honored. I am, I, I am so thankful for this opportunity. Lord God, would you, I would pray special blessing on this place this morning, Lord Jesus. I also pray that the Holy Spirit be in here, that it, that it might settle amongst us, Lord God, that you might be expectant and ready for what you're about to do. And I pray for hearts and minds to be open and receptive to what you have for us all here today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So glad, again, to be with you all. My name is Eddie. I am a pastor at Bay City Church in San Francisco, a new church plant. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. A new church plant in San Francisco. We had started 10 months ago. So we are, the paint is still drying. Well, we don't have a building, but if it was, it would be drying. And uh, so I am glad to be here with you today. And I wanted to take you through a little bit of a journey, uh, my journey specifically. But then I'm going to show you, what I hope to do is I hope to show you a little bit of the way Holy Spirit has been weaving in and out of all of our stories this entire time. Specifically in our call to go, go, go. So I'm going to tell you a little bit of my story, but... What, what I think is really interesting here is particularly in the Bay Area, because this is where I'm from, this is home for me, is I think we've found, uh, we, we found this call, this American call rather, to, to consume instead of taking on the gospel call to go. And so there's this, this cosmic mix-up that's taken place. And church planning for me has shown me uh, and connected me with the story of God's call to go in, any way, in a way I've never been sent before. It's completely unique and foreign to me. It is utterly bizarre because I've seen, you know, I've opened the Bible, obviously. You, I would hope if I'm here that your pastor checked to see if I read the Bible before, but I have. And I, as I've read through the scriptures, I've seen God's amazing story from Genesis to Revelation, this interwoven nature that God has had a plan for the fall of man this entire time. And he's used, he's used the, the creation, the people, his, his created order to bring about the means of salvation, this guy, Jesus, that we would all believe. And, I, and I've gotten to see this, but church planning has allowed me to see that, I, that churches are actually in there too. But there's a footnote for my church plant there. Here's why. Because when Jesus calls the disciples to, to go out to Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth, I've got to believe that God in all his foreknowledge knew that there'd be a place on the coast of, the, of North America that would need himself. And that our churches are the call of the disciples, generations down, to be the church at the ends of the earth. And I was standing out, like I usually do at the ocean, uh, standing out at Ocean Beach and looking. And my wife, she's from Seattle area, and uh, she's like, hey, what's out there? You know, because in Seattle, it's, there's the Puget Sound, and so across there, there's like other stuff. And I was like, ah, Hawaii? I mean, there's, there's, I don't know, Thailand, New Zealand, something's out there, but it's nowhere close. We're on the ends of the earth here. That is amazing to think about. And so God in all his foreknowledge, Jesus, he's sitting there going, hey, I don't need you to go to Judea, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And through the generational lineage of the believers, the spiritual sons and daughters, that, man, there would be a church here. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship would exist because of that call. That is fantastic. And then I come to this passage in John 20, 21. Now, Jesus himself, he had just rose from the dead. No small feat for us humans, but for him, he knocked it out of the park. He's there. And he shows up, and the very first thing he says to his disciples is greetings. And then he says, 
So now as the Father had just sent me, I am now sending you. And can you imagine the fear that would be like, wait a second, you might, I'm going to go die on the cross. I can't do all that. Like, what are you asking me to do? And God clarifies his call that he would want us to go forth and make disciples of many nations, including this one, baptizing him in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, what I get from this, I've always read it, and I've always kind of gone past it, but church planning has allowed me to see that every single believer, every single Christian has a standing order to obey Matthew 28, to go forth and make disciples of many nations. To go, we all have that order. Do you get that? Man, that's a big time call. Making disciples is our standing order. It is the literal mission of the God, of God, the God of the universe. And listen, I, I know you guys have been studying what it means to be light. And light is light. Like it's in and of itself, it exists as a light. But light has to do something in order to fulfill its calling, right? It has to illuminate. And so a light can't be light unless it illuminates. And a Christian doesn't fulfill its purpose if it doesn't go. You see, our God is by nature a sender. That's what he does best. He sends people perfected in his son, Jesus. And so I hope to use my story in order to show you guys what it means really to be sent. And this launching point of Jesus' words to us, to the disciples and to us, should hopefully propel us into this go nature, our sentness, I'll call it. So as we explore John 20, 21, I hope we need to consider just what it means for us individually, not collectively as a church, but even individually what it means to be sent. Sent into the workplace, sent into the grocery store, sent into our families, sent into our own particular spheres of influence ourselves. So here, here's the first thing I think you need to do if you want to embrace this sense nature, okay? I think the first thing you need to do is you need to use your own story. Yeah, you got to use your story. Before you check out, let me explain you mine, okay? Because my story is interesting. I grew up here in the Bay Area. I told you, I say the Bay Area because I really mean the Bay Area, okay? Uh, my parents were never married. My, my dad left my family when I was about eight or nine years old. We bounced around all up and down the Bay Area of San Mateo and Vallejo and Pittsburgh and, and Bayview and all of these places all over. We bounced around all of these different places and we're on government housing and, and food stamps and, the thing, and, and that sort of thing. And so we're all over this place. I had never been into a church my entire life. I'd never been into a church. Especially when my dad left, I had never even heard of a church. The only thing I knew about church was this big old Bible my mom kept on, on her shelf. And every now and then I'd crack it open and be like, all right, eight-year-old Eddie, it's time to read this entire thing. Here we go. This is where all the knowledge is. That's what everyone says. And so I'll crack in. In the beginning was the word. Okay. Or in the beginning was God and he created the lights. Okay. You know what? Tomorrow I'll pick it up, verse 2, and we'll get going, right? Like that, that was my mindset when it came to church. I had never really, really experienced it. And, and it, all come, it all came to head when we moved to Vallejo because my dad was gone. We moved into a really impoverished community. We'd get our house broken into pretty frequently. And we were just getting, I was getting beat up at school. I don't know, any, any mixed people in here today? Man, I was the white kid at the black school, the black kid at the white school. I don't understand that. I'm like, you know how confusing that is? Can I just be the mixed kid? I don't, what do you want to call me? You know, anyway, that's a, that's a whole other sermon. But nonetheless, I experienced this, this tough part of growing up in, 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 in about 2000, 2001. And uh, my mom was uh, diagnosed with cancer at that time. 
And so at this time, I had never been into a church, but I do remember one time coming home and uh, the door, our front door was open and our house was tr- just trashed, just destroyed. And, and I'm looking through all of the, the trash and the debris, looking for just any, any semblance of something to keep uh, because just everything was just covered in food and just destroyed. The, um, the whole back, the back room was covered in a uh, Bisquick. You know, my mom had cancer and so um, people would, really nice people would go to Costco and buy us like lots of different Costco food and and whoever decided to break in here decided to take all that Costco food and just throw it all over the place, okay? And so our, our house is just destroyed. And uh, my mom comes in after me because, you know, she's, you know, she's sick. And so she comes in. I've got one younger sister. And um, she comes in, and she looks around, and she just wails this one time. And I had never heard the, the three-letter word beginning with G before in this context. But she said, why, God, why would you do this to me? And she cried out and lamented in that. And, I, and it welled up in me too. Like, well, you know, I feel like if there's this cosmic governor of the universe, he should be able to help this situation, right? I mean, we're in a poor, we're in a really horrible house. You know, our house is trash. My mom is dying. And where was God? I didn't know God at the time, but I knew I needed to try to do something about it. I thought that it was up to me. And so what I did was I started going to school and getting good grades and thinking, man, this is my way out. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fix the life, and I'm going to do something for my family. And my mom passed away of cancer that Easter, actually, uh, just a few months later. And so that only intensified my fire to go do something special for myself and to redeem the, what had been done to my family. Yeah, and so I played college football high school football and then college football. I got a scholarship to University of Idaho. That's how I got to Idaho, okay? Yeah, crazy, crazy. Um, I got an academic scholarship as well, and they kind of laid on top of one another and has enabled me to kind of pay for everything at school. And when I got to college, I'll tell you what, I was full of it. Because, I mean, look where I had come from. You know, my dad's gone. I don't, you know, I don't have a lot of family. And so I basically feel like I did this on my own. I had some key figures helping out, to be sure. They were in the footnotes in my story, but it was about me at the time. And so I had strutted around campus. I didn't drink. I didn't smoke. I didn't have girlfriends. I was all focused on football and school because this is how I build my kingdom. This is who I am, right? It's all about me. I'm building myself up until this guy, this, this disheveled-looking teammate of mine who looked like John the Baptist, if I could imagine him, bushy beard, bad toenails, wearing sandals all the time, even in the snow, Seriously, true story. And he's handing out Bibles getting on the team bus. He's handing out Bibles. And uh, so I'm one of the last one. I'm a freshman. I'm traveling back to San Jose State to play, play down here, ironically. And uh, I feel bad for the guy. No one's taking his Bibles. So I'm like, hey, man, let me help you out. Toss one of those my way. Like, what do you want me to do with this thing? And he says, oh, man, you're going to take one? I was like, absolutely. Like, you're fired. Why are you so excited? And he said, oh, man, the first thing you need to do is you need to read the book of John. Because all the other gospels are going to tell you what Jesus did, but this one's going to tell you who Jesus was. And I was like, man, like, this guy impacted me, like, you know, in a crazy way. And it wasn't just his smell. Like, it was, it was everything about him. And so I took his Bible, and as I start to go on a bus, he said, oh, no, hold on a second, man. And he... And he asked for the Bible back. He said, give me that thing. He takes his paper Bible back. He reaches in his bag. He gives me a nice leather Bible with his name on it. He says, here, you take this Bible. Now, before you, before you think that's not, it was a King James version, okay? So, 
and I had never really opened the Bible except for like that Genesis 1-1 deal. So, so a couple days later, I go back to my room, and I'm like, let me, let me open this thing up. And so I kick it open, and I go to John, and I read through it, and I love it. I mean, I'm in. I'm in, because he had challenged me on some things. I said, give me, give me 72 hours, I'll nail the Bible. Just give me, just give me some time. That's a ridiculous 18-year-old kid. And, and so I get through John. I'm like, this is good. And so what do I do if you never read the Bible? You just keep going. Because, like, what's next, right? Here's the book of Acts. Happens to be a sequel. There's a sequel in the book of the gospel. And so I'm reading through the sequel, and I'm like, dude, this is crazy. And then I'm like, wait a second, they're all dying. This is crazy. Okay. And then I get through all of that, and then Acts, Acts ends, like, all abruptly. And I'm like, wait a second. Is that it? And so what's next? The book of Romans in the King James. So I open that up and I open Romans 1 and I come across this part where it says, hey, you've exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped created things rather than the creator God. And I went, that's me. For the first time ever, I saw that the Bible wasn't a roadmap to me to live my best life now. It was a diagnostic tool to show me where I needed the great God of the Bible. And I saw that, and I'm like, I got to use this. And so that's where I meet Christ. And then I fast forward six months later, ridiculously, I decide I want to go plant churches. Wasn't ready, not the time. But nonetheless, I show up to this place here 14 years later in the Bay Area with my wife here to plant this church. And I come across these people. These people are diverse. They're mixed they're socioeconomically impoverished, but they're also affluent. There are multiple people groups, much like your church here today. The Bayview, the southeast part of San Francisco, and even the North Peninsula to a large degree is incredibly diverse. And so we're drawing, all, I'm just coming across these different people. I'm having coffees and, and, meeting, and meeting for lunch with all these different sorts of people. And I'm seeing this. And you know what I realize? I share their story. You see, the people in our community that are generationally impoverished, that, that's my story. You see, the people that lived on government assistance, that, that's my story. The people that grew up without their fathers, that's my story. But on the other side of things, see, uh, the, the, the rest of my story is that after college, I, uh, when my mom was dying on her deathbed, I, told, I promised her something ridiculous. I said, hey, I'm going to go to the NFL one day for you. <laughs> I'm like, I'm going to go play in the NFL, which every 13-year-old kid thinks he's going to the NFL. Sorry to burst your bubble, okay, if you're here. Not, all, not everyone gets in, but somehow I got drafted to play in the NFL. So I get drafted to play in the NFL, and I spend five years playing in the NFL. And I had just as many surgeries as I played years. Uh, it hurts to play in the NFL. It's fun, but it definitely is painful. And so after that, I go into the business world as well. I work in sales in a tech company. It's because I get my feet wet, and I start, help start churches and all along the way. I come across these people in our part of the Bay Area, and I realize I'm actually kind of on both sides of this thing. You see, I, I've lived an affluent uh, white-collar life. I've, le I've lived a generationally impoverished blue-collar life. Not to say those things can't be inversed, but that's the people I'm coming across. You see, God's using the story he's given me for his own glory in our part of the city. It's amazing. Don't you remember what Paul says? Comfort those with the comfort you've received in Christ Jesus. That's what I'm talking about here. And so God's, I'm getting to see God uniquely knit all of our stories together, and he's using mine for his own glory, bringing people to, into the presence of who he is. You see that you, you have the same actual story, though, by the way, that you too have been uniquely knitted by God 
for his own glory. But the problem is, well, I'll just come out with you flat. It's probably your phone. It's probably your laptop because you go online and you look at social media. You look at Instagram and Facebook and you start comparing the story God's given you with the lives of the people that he's given them. You see what I'm saying? And so all of a sudden you start comparing, you're like, man, I don't know if I'm as rich or as smart or as classy. That person's, man, he's so debonair and smooth. Look at these people, look at their giftings, and you start longing for them. But the problem with those sort of things is they produce, they produce comparison, right? Comparison produces sameness. God didn't create his body for sameness. He created it for uniqueness. And so all of you have been uniquely knitted by God to do his work in only the way you can do it. Do you get what I'm saying? There's only some hearts you're going to be able to reach. There's only some hands you can hold. There's only some brains you can penetrate. He didn't call Pastor Brian to do the work of you. He didn't call me. He didn't call a, a YouTube evangelist to do the work. He didn't call your cubicle mate. He didn't call the person working next to you to be the means by which the people in your life need him. He, used, he wants you. And so you need to uniquely embrace your story. Some of us think, if I'm honest, and I did to a large degree, some of us think our stories are a burden on us. Like if my story didn't go the way it did, you know what my life might be like? You know, if I didn't get hurt at this one game, if I didn't, if my dad would have stuck around, what, what would my life have been like? You think of it as a burden. The problem is when you get, a, when you get your story from God and he, makes, he gives you your story, to be sure, the sovereign creator of the universe gives you your story and then works out his plans through your story, he does that. When you get your story dropped into your lap, you're given a weapon. You are to wield your story as a weapon against war, with warfare against injustice and evil and to push back darkness and to bring about the kingdom of God today. Your story is a weapon to be wielded against the enemy. When you don't embrace the story God has given you, you're like a, a laptop holding open a door. Yeah, you're a doorstop for now, but that's not what you were created to do. You were created to use your story. He wants this. He doesn't want, he want, doesn't want sameness. He wants this uniqueness. And again, our passage, John 20, 21, as the Father has sent me, so now I am sending you. Not him, her, they, you. That's all of us, our unique callings and giftings, which will look differently to everybody. He didn't send your neighbor. He didn't send your pastor. He wants to send you. You got to use your story. But once you understand that you got to use it, it's time to acknowledge your calling. You've got to acknowledge that you've actually been called. Okay, and I'm going to read you a passage out of 2 Timothy 1. This is Paul, the Apostle Paul, writing to a younger understudy, Timothy. Check out what he says to him. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our God, nor of me, his prisoner, but sharing in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called, and called us to a holy calling. You hear that? He called us to a holy calling, not because of your works, but because of his own purposes and grace, which he gave us in Christ, Jesus, before the ages began. We've all been called by God. It's all of us. And not only have he, he hasn't given us a second-rate calling either. He hasn't given us a calling that's not as good as Billy Graham's calling. Not as good as some famous rapper, Christian rapper, or a famous politician 
He's given you a holy calling, a holy calling. But if we're honest with ourselves, and I know we need to be, right, but at least right now because we're in church, many of us are unwilling to acknowledge the calling we know we have. You see, a lot of us know we're called and are not following it. Like, I, listen, I was talking to this guy the other week. Man, listen, I know I, I'm in San Francisco here. I got a nice job, and I know God is calling me to something bigger in my life. I know there are people in my life that I need to minister to and reach, but, man, I just I can't get myself to do it. I would rather just take a long weekends and go skiing and kind of enjoy this place, and then I'll kind of come back around to when I start having kids. Then I'll bring the kids to church, and then kind of things will fall in line, as if you need a hiatus from the call of God. But that's, what, that's what's happened. Some of us are there, but some of us have need to acknowledge our calling that we know we have, and other of us have probably even just forgotten we were called. Maybe you remembered it. Remember you, were, you had that fervor and angst when you first met Jesus, if you're here and you're a Christian? You had that fervor and angst, I'm on fire, I can't wait. And slowly but surely, the fire kind of fades, right? Yeah, you with me on that? I remember the call I got to leave where I was to come back here. You see, I hadn't been living here for a long time and playing football and traveling around. And I went to a conference um, somewhere not even close to the Bay Area. And I met a guy who helps plant churches in San Francisco and lives here. And, uh, and I said, he came up to me and said, hey, I lived in Utah at the time. He says, hey, what is a guy who's not white living in Utah? How did that happen, right? Like, he's just being honest. And I said, it's a long story. I got a lot of, I'm in Idaho, I'm in Utah, you know, I'm all over the place. And, and he asked me about something else. And I said, hey, what do you do? And he said, oh, I help plant churches in San Francisco. And I was like, oh, weird, because I want to plant a church in San Francisco. And so I go back to my wife and we're having the conversation on the, on the living room table and we're, we're sitting down, we're getting bed and we're talking about it for weeks and weeks and weeks. And then the call begins to build up, begins to build up because we were comfortable. We, we could buy a house there, you know, like like anywhere else but here, like you can buy a house. And so I, I was like, I got a house. I mean, I got land, like that's my, you know. Like, and, and so I was, we, we had everything. We had a community and friendships and family. We were comfortable. We were in a ministry to be sure. And then I look over to my wife, Sarah, and I say, you know what? I feel like if we don't go to San Francisco, we'd be telling God no. Because the call on our lives was so palpable that we would literally be like, man, we got to reject what God is telling us to do. We felt it. The call was like going down through our arms. We had to go. We knew that there would be hard things in the Bay Area, especially for me. It's really nice. It was really nice for me to be out of the Bay Area based on my childhood. I didn't have to face the cold, hard realities of my, of my past. But coming back here, I knew I would, those, some of those would well up, right? Like, for instance, I, I don't have Thanksgiving dinners with family here. I don't have Christmas dinners. The reality that I had no family uh, would set in. The reality that there were broken relationships here would set in, and I knew that. And it was very, very difficult for me to come back and to step in. I'm not saying you're calling and to embrace it won't be hard. In fact, I'm probably saying it should be hard. The call of God on anyone's life has never been to comfort. Certainly, I don't find that anywhere in the scripture. But ultimately, the call is always given to us just for the glory of God and to live out our sovereign nature by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the call, wherever that may lead us. And so I say, okay. Now, in the Bay Area, it's really easy 
to get lost in what our call is because, you know, Bay Area people, pretty smart folks, right? A lot of smart companies here, right? No one wants to give themselves a hand, okay? Fair enough. We're a smart group of people. Okay, yeah, there you go. It's, it, you know, the home of so much uh, innovation here. But as, as Christians, we get into this thing I like to call it in the Bay Area, spiritual intellectualism, where we'll kind of kick back and we'll debate the nuances of the scriptures and we'll, we'll talk about what does it really mean to be called and what does that word mean in the Greek and who really knows what that could mean. I need to read a few more theologians and scholars before I can really embrace this word call. And 10 years later... We're still debating it. We're, we're lost in the spiritual intellectualism discussing the nuances of Christianity. Don't let spiritual intellectualism distract you from the real reality that you are called to go. You are called to go. And that means no matter the cost. That means no matter the cost. That means you pay a cost to do it. That means it's going to cost you something, maybe influence, maybe financially, maybe relationally, maybe family. It costs something to follow God. If you have not paid anything to be follower of Christ, this is the sermon for you. This is the sermon for you. Because ultimately, Jesus says that it will cost us something, and there is an ultimate cost to discipleship and making more disciples. It's important. Some of you also will say, you know, I, I want to love, I, I want to use my calling, but I, I'm not ready. Oh, this is my favorite. Because God uses everybody anytime, right? All the time. So you might have been saved for three days, but someone's been saved for three minutes. And to them, you're a spiritual giant. And you're like, yo, did, have you looked at Genesis yet? Have you looked at, look at this title? I mean, look at this book. I mean, do you even know where it's at in your Bible? I can tell you it's right here. You, you are a spiritual giant to them. And if you've been saved for three minutes, there's someone who's nowhere near being saved. So the problem is when you want to you say you're not ready, you're, you're waiting for the future time to be ready to be used by God. But God's ready to use you now. And he wants to use you right now. Like there is no, you do not need to read more theology before you're ready to share the gospel. You do not need to. God speaks out of donkeys. He speaks out of broken sinners. He speaks out of everyone. He can certainly use you, and he will. But you got to be open to it. Now, there's another thing you have to do if you want to embrace your sentness. And this one may be hard for some people, particularly if you're young, if you're new to the area. you got to love where you are. you got to love where you are. That means, in the Greek, you have to love where you are. Okay, that means the Bay Area, it's traffic, and all of the good that comes with the bad, you've got to embrace it if you want to be influential and embrace your sentence. Now, look at Jeremiah 29 with me, the quintessential passage here. Now, let me ask you something. The Israelites are sent into Babylonian captivity. We're not captives here, are we? Some of us might feel like that, but we're not captives here. These people are going into Babylonian captivity and this is what God tells them. Hey, I know I've exiled you out of the promised land. I promised all your fathers. But hey, you're going to sit and, and be under the rule of some foreign king who worships foreign gods for a while. That's okay. I want you to do this. Jeremiah 5, he says, build houses and live in them. He says, plant gardens and eat of their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters, multiply there and do not decrease. So have a bunch of kids there, but seek the welfare of the city. 
Seek the welfare of the city, of the Bay Area, where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. So wait, wait, what? In the Bay Area's welfare you will find yours. Don't you see the call is bigger than just our own personal faith and salvation? That we are called, sent into the world, into a place like this, to seek the welfare of the people in the region? Don't you think that we would all benefit if we did that? Yeah, we would, right? This is what we're talking about. Be a neighbor, be a citizen. The story of the Bay Area, many of you know. It's the least church metropolitan region in the United States, okay? The least church region. San Francisco in particular sees 4% of its 867,217 people in a church on a Sunday morning. That means there is more people in line at brunch than there are in the churches in the city. And that is actually true. Like, I wish it was not. It's true. There aren't as many churches there, obviously, and so we need more churches, which is why we're planting churches. That You may have heard that there are more dogs than Christians in that area, right? There are more dogs than kids. There are, 100, there are 116,000 children in San Francisco. It, is the, it is the, has the least amount of children out of any major city in the United States. And there are 130,000 dogs in the city, which makes hiking and walking on trails just so ridiculous. <laughs> with, with these apps and people have got like seven dogs on them. And they're looking at my kid like, oh, oh, yeah? Are you going to bring your kid up this trail? This is for dogs. Like, are you kidding me? So these people need to grasp the Imago day a little bit more. You know what I'm saying? I love dogs. I'm not anti-dog. You get what I'm saying. This is a city with all of its drawbacks, a place in the region, the Bay Area, of tremendous beauty. I mean, it is gorgeous. You can go anywhere from here. You get to the snow, the beach. It's gorgeous here. People love it here, which is why it keeps coming. And even though it has this tremendous beauty and there's culture in the Bay Area, there's just so much here, it is a place with tremendous trials. It has a lot of issues here as well. San Francisco in particular, you guys remember how it started, the gold rush. And I will tell you right now that there is a gold miners ethos in San Francisco. That people enter the Bay Area, that to a large degree we come seeking resources, seeking to better our lives, and once we've grasped our fill, we get out of here. Once I start having kids, man, it's time to go. I don't know if I can raise kids here. I just need to, you know, find that gold, find that silicon. Okay, I'm just looking for something, and once I grasp it, I go, but the gold miner's ethos is still over our city. And despite all of its struggles, though, it's a place I love. It's a place I call home. You know, I was thinking this. It's very hard to to minister to people that you don't love. It's very difficult to minister to a people you don't love. Now, you can preach at them. You can give them the, 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 the actual cold, isolated, sterile truth about their situation. But God's movement and action and his sentence is, is motivated by love. And if should we be good Christians, we should also seek to do that as well as we're transformed by God. Motivated through love. Now, the catch in all of this, guys, is that we love ourselves. We don't like the Bay Area as much. Or we love it, but man, it's got its problems. God said you're supposed to love your neighbors as yourself. Gosh, really? Is that in there? Not worse yet, he tells us to love our enemies. Holy, that covers it. Like, 
If I'm, I'm, I'll either like them, they're my neighbor. If I don't, they're my enemy. That covers it. That's, that's everyone. Love is a command, not an emotional call. Here in the text, love your neighbors is a call to go do it. There's one last thing you need to do. One last thing you need to do if you want to embrace your sentence. And that's to embrace your sentence. Embrace it. Once you know you're being sent, you've got to embrace it for God's mission. And I want to throw up Matthew 28, back up there, 19 and 20. Jesus tells his disciples, right when he's about to leave them, go forth, go therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The word go sticks out to me. Go. Because I think most of us are willing to make disciples should they come to us. All of us want to be a mentor. All of us want to start a YouTube channel. We all want to tell everybody everything, but when it comes to actually walking it out and going forth, it gets a little bit more difficult. And so now we actually have to go out, and this word sticks out to me. I mean, it's brutal. I remember being a rookie playing in the NFL, and I, you know, it's hard to play. I worked so hard to get there. I started in flag football and moved to Pop Warner football, and I trained hard, and I went to high school football, and I trained, and I lifted the countless hours in the training rooms and getting healthy from injury and going into the strength room and trying to eat the right foods and all of these different things, countless energies and hours, all leading up to, like, my very first opportunity to play in the NFL, my first training camp. And so I get there, and it's hot, and it's difficult, and I, I was okay. I was all right, like my first couple practices. I, I wasn't who I was, though. You know, I wasn't me. And uh, I remember a coach came up to me and he said, hey, Eddie, hey, do you like it here, man? Just like that. And I was like, you know, I don't, I don't think so. But what I realized in that was that in order for me to be able to utilize who God has made me to do in that moment, I needed to take all of that training, all that potential, and turn it into this kinetic energy. You see what I'm saying? So many of us have spent a lot of time reading the Bible, in Bible studies, studying, watching sermons, and, and opening the scriptures, and reading the Psalms, and doing all of these things. You've got tremendous potential. But God says, go therefore and make disciples. He wants you to turn your potential energy into kinetic energy and go out into the world and utilize the giftings, not just for your own knowledge, but for his own glory so that other people might come to meet him the same way you did. You get what I'm saying? That's what God is asking for. If you're you're in this boat, man, I'm not, I know that you're in this boat. There's some people in here. You're just like, you're sitting there. You're like, man, this is me. Consider this permission to go out and begin to use your energy, your training, whatever it is that you've accumulated for God's mission. That means tomorrow at work, you have permission to go to minister to people at your work. You have permission to do so. You have permission to raise your children in a more God-like fashion. You have that ability to do that now. You can go into your campus or to school or wherever you're going, your grocery store, your gym, your spheres of influence. And you have permission to be on that mission. You get what I'm saying? You have it. You have this permission, and we need it. Coworkers, friends, families, whoever it is, you have permission. Because there is somebody for most of us that's there. And then God's saying, hey, this is the person. And yeah, of course, God's patient so that all people might come to know him. He's patient in that. But hey, here's the tap right here. Tomorrow is the day. 
This week is the day. Now, I remember learning about how Jesus was sent. How, do you guys know any traits of how he came? He came humbly, yeah? He came sacrificially. That's important. Not to live a great life. He came to live others. Now, if I was Jesus, I'd be like, man, I just got off the throne next to the Father, and I'm coming down to this. 33 years is a long time. Can we get the crucifixion over with? Like, can we just do this early? Because I'm ready to get out of here. But God still came as a neighbor, lived as we are, died the death that we should have died. He did it. So for us to remember how to be sent, we need to remember that first Jesus was sent. If you want to really embrace what it means to be this Christian word, you know this word Christian comes from? As a pejorative term, meant little Christs. It was to kind of identify there was this people so uniquely diverse, so socioeconomically diverse, so ethnically and culturally diverse, they didn't know what to call them. So they called them Christians, little Christs. Oh, little Christ. And so we were like, all right, that's a good name. We embraced the name. So should we want to live this out, we should become imitators of who this guy Christ is then, shouldn't we? And what we realize is that this guy Christ was sent into the world first. You see that? You are not sent before he was ever sent. He came first for you. He came to live as a light in the darkness, and he didn't just be light. He illuminated the world, didn't he? He opened up the world. He opened up this floodgate of grace and love and passion and power that whoever would latch on to this guy Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit would then become an imitator. Which means you now have a standing order because Jesus says, hey, remember what I did with you? Do with them as well. That means you got to go. Oh, that's a lot. But did you know that your life was always part of this plan? Did you know that that was always part of it? You know when I told you I found my footnote, uh, Bay City Church footnote in the story there? Uh, of God's book. You see, there's this massive gap between Jesus leaving and him coming back because he's coming back. And he's given this power to go out into the world, Judea, Samaria, the Bay Area, to the church. And his church would, would to be, to, his call on them would be to multiply, to continue to share the good news of himself to everyone, 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 and everyone, and everyone. And that's not just, man, our pastors up here. Bring them to church. It, that's good. Also, I need you to go leave this place. The real ministry is going to begin here Monday morning, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Let's link back up here Sunday and let's worship the Lord God and let's get under some teaching. Absolutely. And then, hey, let's compare notes. What was it like for you out there? with the Lord. You see, being in San Francisco, and I'll close with this, um, planning a church, man, it is hard work. I mean, you are, you are relying on the Holy Spirit for everything. And truthfully, that's how it should be, right? But come on, we all know that. Like, it, sometimes I just need to go, no, hold on a second. Like, are you sure you're leading me in that direction, God? And, and you're kind of trying to take back over. But I've had no choice at a church plant like, like Bay City but to just go, okay, God, like, I don't know where the people are coming from. I don't know where the money's going to come from. I don't know what fruit is going to come out of that relationship or what, what person uh, I'm going to uh, influence and who's going to become a lead. I have no clue. God just shows up time and time again. Many of us are robbed ourselves of the blessings of God because we're just afraid to do what he says. We think we could make a better life for ourselves, and that's just not true. 
Church planning has caused me to embrace my sentness. It's caused me to do so. And when I realize my sentness, when I get out there, the work is not all mine to be done. Oftentimes, I'm just an instrument in the, in the hands of the good, godly redeemer. And when you go and you embrace your calling, you find out that actually, it's not really about you. <laughs> Life's not about you. It's about him. And I get to see that on a weekly basis. I get to, man comes up to me to pray at the end of a service a couple weeks ago. He's uh, living a, a lifestyle, complete crazy. He's not a believer. And he's like, hey, can I pray for you? And he's like, I was like, okay, sure. He comes up to pray for me. And um, he's like, can we go in the closet? Can we go like in the closet? And there's like this little, these little curtains. We could kind of go behind. I'm like, okay, sure. I was like, hope he doesn't stab me, but all right, let's go. And so we go back there. And he says, I haven't prayed in 15 years, but I just got to pray. Can I pray for you? And I was like, okay. And he goes, Lord God, Lord Jesus, I don't know if this church really even agrees with the lifestyle I'm living. It doesn't seem like that at all. But I know that you've told me I need to be here. So whatever happens, Lord God, let me be drawn to this church and to hear the preaching of who you are, regardless. And then he ends it. He didn't pray for me. He prayed for himself. Much, much better. You see, we get to see God draw this guy off the street and bring him into our, bring him into our midst and to see God change him. We're instruments, man. We're instruments. When you embrace your sentness, you are most in sync with God. When you embrace your sentness, you're most in sync with the created order of humanity. And when you embrace your sentness, you're most in sync with Jesus himself who was sent first not to be served, but to serve. So when you go be light, remember, you've got to illuminate as well. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the opportunity to open up your scriptures. Lord God, this call you gave us 2,000 years ago to the, tw- to the 11 disciples, to a room of a, a few hundred others, 120, whatever it was, Lord God. You gave them this call. And by your own grace and your own glory, Lord, we're standing here right now hearing it again as if it was fresh news. It's almost as if your book is timeless and timely. It's almost as if it doesn't go away. It's almost as if there's power behind it, regardless. So, Lord God, I do pray for my friends here that the hearts and minds were opened, that, hey, whatever's from me, Lord, that they'd reject, but what's from you that they might receive and absorb, that they need to go forth. And for those of us here that maybe don't know Jesus, Lord God, Many of us here hear this call, and we don't hear what it means to be sent. We hear that Jesus was sent first. Why? Lord God, thank you that you were sent first to die the death that we should have died, that we might get to link arms and wear the cloak of righteousness that you've given us. In Jesus' name.